Church, I want to start out in a passage of Scripture that doesn't include the name that we'll be talking about this morning, but that sets kind of the context for where we are. 2 Chronicles chapter 36. You can turn there with me. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and we'll be jumping back to Ezekiel after I read this. But I want to read this, and I just want to pray for the Lord to speak to us through this moment. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we're going to start in verse 17. It'll be on the screens if you need it there, or if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to read it along with me. 2 Chronicles 36, verse 17. It says, Therefore he brought up against the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them into his hand. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of the princes, all these he brought to Babylon. And, he burned, and they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its places with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that we would see you for who you are. God, I pray as we continue into this series, as we acknowledge your name, what your name means for us in certain circumstances, in different places, God, that we can make these proclamations in our lives and in the situations that we navigate from day to day. Father God, open our hearts and minds. God, let us see who you truly are here for us this morning. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Chronicles 36 does not include the name that we'll be discussing this morning, but this text, what it does is it helps us see the importance and kind of lays the framework for what's going on in the name that we will be covering this morning. Listen, I think it's very important for us as we uh, become people of the Bible, as we read the Bible, get into the Bible, navigate the Bible... Even though when we do these topical things where we kind of jump from one thing to the other, that we're laying context, that we're not trying to put ourselves in the places that we aren't, but we're digging out of the text what's actually there. Uh, a very uh, important place for us as a church and as, as, as Bible believers to be. And so what's happening in this text that we read? So what's happening is that as the children of Israel have left Egypt and Moses has led them through the wilderness and as Joshua brought them into the promised land, they've begun to settle into the promised land. And as they were there, they began to intermingle with the nations around them. They've started to inherit false gods and false idols. Uh, they've begun to do things opposite to what God had commanded, been leading them to. And so the prophet Jeremiah leading up to the moment that we're seeing here had been telling them that God is telling me, bringing you a warning to push these false idols away, to begin to walk again in obedience to the God of Israel, begin to look to your God again and stop grabbing on to lesser things. And so Jeremiah is communicating this truth to them. But what we see happen is the prophecy fulfilled in Second Chronicles. What we read is that the Babylonian Empire led by King Nebuchadnezzar come and destroy Jerusalem. Take these nations of Israel and Judah into captivity, leave their homeland, the promised land that God promised them, leaving this land in ruins. Unlivable. And so 
we see this as being what Jeremiah was telling in Jeremiah 25. What Jeremiah is speaking to the people, he says, I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, all the tribes of the north declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Listen, that's not the verses you read when you want to be encouraged, right? Uh, you know, but what I think is so important, see, there are many people, even people today, very prominent preachers and teachers that would tell us we need to completely disconnect from the Old Testament because they were afraid to face some of these things, to ever think that God would allow His people to go through difficult situations or circumstances in this regard or that it even means anything to us the, it, nowadays. But I believe that's such an injustice not only to the Bible but to God and even for us to disconnect from these things where we see God allow certain things to happen for the good of His people and for the growth of His people. And so what has happened is that these nations have pressed in on the people of God, that God's chosen people, the, God, the people that God has provided for, He has led out of slavery, He has loved, He has done all these things for. And then now these nations have pressed in around them. God is using Israel's enemy as a way to sanctify them, as a way to help them understand their sin and their selfishness. And so their sin, the ripple of their sin, has led them to this place of complete destruction and ruin has led them to this place where they have been removed, physically removed, from the land that God promised to them. We can, you can read about this, and you can go back and read in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles as we read. Also in Jeremiah, we see in Jeremiah leading up to the exile, and then he actually writes to them and speaks to them during the exile. And then also in Ezekiel and Daniel during the exile. And then we read about after the exile in Nehemiah and Ezra. And so all of this is going on. And then, like I said, remember, Ezekiel writes during the exile. Ezekiel writes this. And this is where we'll find our name this morning that we'll be studying. Ezekiel 35.10. Turn there with me. Ezekiel 35.10 is where we'll see our name for this morning. Book of Ezekiel, one of our major prophets right after Jeremiah. <clears throat> Ezekiel 35, verse 10. It'll be on the screen or you can read along with me. It says this. It says, Because you said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine. Talking about Judah and Israel. Part of Jerusalem. He says, These two countries shall be mine and I will take possession of them. This is the king speaking. The king of this nation that is coming. And I will discuss that in a second. It says, I will take possession of them. Although... The Lord was there. And so we see our name this morning right there in there. That the Lord is there. Our Jehovah Shema is our word, our name of God today. Jehovah Shema. Remember Jehovah meaning the existing one or the Lord. And Shema means there. So in this section right here, remember Ezekiel is speaking and writing during the exile... He says, what he's talking about is these Edomites, or the, the, the nation of Edom. The nation of Edom are descendants of Esau. Remember, Esau hates Israel, who used to be Jacob, because he stole his birthright from his father Isaac. 
that was Esau's. Remember all that? Well, they've hated each other for centuries. And so now the Edomites, they see an opportunity to seize this promised land, to seize back their birthright from the Israelites because they're gone. Their nation's in ruins. There's nobody here. This is ours now. But what does it say? What does it say? It says that although, even though this looks ripe for the taking for us, although the Lord was there. And, and even after this, not only is the Lord there, but it says that the Lord defeats the Edomites, destroys their nation. Ezekiel is writing to let the people know, or telling, speaking to the people, that in all regards, the enemy assumed because this land laid in ruins because of the sin of God's people, that God had abandoned them. That their God is gone. You know, according to most ancient Near Eastern religions, you know, that's uh, uh, the Egyptian, Hittites, Islam, all those, that a nation laying in ruins is evidence that its God or its king has abandoned it. And so these Edomites, they see this opportunity. This is our time to take back what was ours. But there's a problem. That the strength of Israel is still there. That the God of Israel is still there defending that land, holding that land, keeping that land for what? For God's people to come back. You know, there's something very significant there. And I don't know if it's something that we always think about. Because I think a lot of times we talk about the God who prevails. We talk about the God who is victorious. We talk about the God who is faithful for His promises. But do we truly believe that? And I love that right in the middle of the worst time in, in, in Israel's history, when everything could be stripped, when everything probably feels as if they've lost everything. Everything's been stripped from them. There is nothing to go back to. As the enemy comes in to take everything, to take hold of a land that the, the people of Israel coming back from exile would be way too weak to take back in force, that God says, you're not taking this because the Lord is there. God is there preserving, protecting, and preparing for His people to come back in the midst of their sin. That even though Israel had changed locations, God's stayed the same. Charles Spurgeon said this, it said, The glory of God's faithfulness is not that no sin of, is that no sin of ours has ever made God unfaithful. The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made Him unfaithful. God made promises to these people. God made a promise that said that, you know, I will preserve you. Even in Jeremiah, when Jeremiah is writing to these people and telling them in the midst of the exile about where they are and what's going to happen, he even writes in, in 2911, he says, God has plans. For you people, I mean, it's, it's, it's descriptive for those people, not necessarily for us, but he's speaking. He says, I have plans for you people that you will come back to this land, that you will prosper, that I will provide for you, that I will be your God. And this is the promise that God has made. And I think for us, and, and I know it because in youth ministry and adult ministry and dealing with people, talking to people, that too often we look at the ruins of our lives, the decisions we've made, the mistakes, the missed opportunities, the weakness, the failures, the inabilities, and we assume that God has abandoned that space. 
We assume, and we, I think we convince ourselves. I, I, I've, I told there are people very close to me that I love so much that, that I would love for them to be in the presence of God and to worship and to be in these elements. But they have convinced themselves that God has abandoned them because of the ruins of their mistakes, because of their sin. Just like Israel. Israel's land is in ruins because of their sin. No question about it. But I think as a church culture, and even for them, that we've convinced ourselves that in the ruin and the mistakes of our sin, God has abandoned that space. And I can't go back to that. That there's, there's no place for me back there. That there's, there's no element. God doesn't want me back there. It's going to be too much work for me to go back to that place. It's going to be too much, too much. I, 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 there's no place for me in that. But what we forget and what we've sung about today and what we truly believe is that God guards and preserves His people and His promises. God has made promises to His people that have put their faith in Jesus today that He will preserve us, that He will prepare a place for us, and that He will receive us. But I don't believe that we ever, that we always truly believe that. As we live life, as we navigate, as we deal with sinful men and, men and women, that we even communicate that. That God has a place for you. That God has, is, is still there. That Jehovah Shema, the Lord, is there for you. Because God has made promises, even for these people. God made promises, Exodus 29, 45 through 46. He says to His people, He says, I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Church, our God guards and holds His own. And that even as you read through Ezekiel and Jeremiah, as, as, as in Daniel, as you read about these people in the midst of exile, being stripped from their land, losing all their identity and what they had and what they did and what they owned, being stripped of everything, and really, in all, most regards, only having the Lord to lean on in these moments, that they had these promises to hold on to, that I will not only be there for my people, but I will dwell with my people. Not only will I dwell with my people, but I will continue to lead them because I am their God. I am their Lord. I am their Savior. You know, in, even in the midst of this, as the enemy prepares to fall into or, or take hold of this to, you know, once, if, if, if the enemy would have made it to this land, this land would be theirs because a, a nation coming back from, Israel, uh, from exile would not be strong enough to retake it. But what does it say? It says the Lord is there preparing for them to come back. The Lord is there fighting the enemy on their behalf in the spaces of their ruin, in the spaces of their sin, in the spaces of their mistakes, in the spaces of their idolatry. He says to his people that I've made promises and that I am there. And so there's two quick things that I want us to see that I believe that we can learn today from this. When we think about the Lord is there or Jehovah Shema, the first thing is this, is that God isn't absent when we've made a mess of things. God is not absent when we've made a mess of things. And I don't know about you, but I've made a mess of things plenty in my life. You know, there's ripple effect of, of sin. There's the exile for them. They're driven from their homes. They're navigating uncertainty and suffering. But even in the midst of that, even if you read through the book of Daniel, God is still protecting them. Even though they're having to be integrated into the nation of Babylon and they're being persecuted and all these things, God is still providing for them in that sense. 
Now, even in that, that God had not left the land, He was protecting their heritage. And typically, and we typically focus, for us, typically we focus so much on the ruins, so much on our past. And I truly believe that for many of us as Christians and people that you'll deal with outside of these walls, that they focus on their past way more than God does. I truly believe, just like this, as Ezekiel's communicating this, he's speaking of what's to come. He says, listen, or what, what is, what's happening and what's to come? He says, the Lord is there. The Lord is in those ruins. The Lord is in that place preparing for you to come back. And I think for us as Christians or even people outside of these doors, we focus so much on our past that we will never live in the present of God's promises. That we focus so much on what we've done wrong, so much on where we've been, so much on the mistakes we've made, that we see all those things as much more eternal than God does. Because God has promises for His people. And from beginning to end of the Bible, we see this promise. Revelation 21.3 says this, he says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. Church in the Bible tells us where the presence of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where God is, there is hope. Where God is, there is blessings. And what does God say? From beginning to the end, in John, when John is writing Revelation, he says that God is with His people. And that it doesn't matter what we're going through. It doesn't matter the circumstances or situations. Now we may experience, like they do, the ripple of our sin that may bring negative, negative attacks, may bring uh, things to us that hurt us, that change our circumstances, but it does not change the promises and the provision of God for His people. You know, all throughout the Bible, God the Father has a reputation of wanting to be near broken and messy people. And He gives them instructions on how to build these, the temple, how to do these things, how to carry the ark with them, how to have the tabernacle. All these things were God's physical presence as the Father in the Old Testament is there. Then Jesus has a reputation of, of being near to broken and messy people. Prostitutes, tax collectors, all these people, lepers, all these people, Jesus was near to them. And not only that, as we've even sung about this morning, the Spirit has a reputation of living in people who were broken and messy, but are made new in Jesus. I love how Timothy says in 2 Timothy 4.17, he says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles, or the non-believers, might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord rescues me from every evil deed and brings me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He says, he says, the Lord rescues me. He will bring me. God is actively doing this work in the life of His people to empower us, to equip us for the work that He has for us. And that there is no place where we've made ruins of ourselves or made ruins of our circumstances that as a child of God, that God has abandoned. The Bible tells us the Lord is there. The Lord is in that place. The Lord is in those ruins. The Lord is in that situation or in that circumstance to bring us through that. He has promises for us. And not only this, not only 
has, is, God, that is God not absent? We've made a mess of things. But the second thing and the last thing this morning is this, is that the problems we face don't change the promises that He's made. The problems we face, whether self-inflicted or exteriorly in, inflicted on us, the problems we face don't change the promises He's made. Because God has made promises to restore. God has made promises to rebuild and restore all things. And He even says that to these people. In Ezekiel 36, right down from where we were in verse 10, he says, And I will multiply people on you. The whole house of Israel, all of it, the city shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. Man, how amazing would that have been to hear for them? God, you're telling me that we've lost all these people. We've lost all that we had. And you're making a promise to not only multiply the people, but to rebuild everything that's been destroyed. I believe that in this moment there would have been people that truly believe that. But that there would have been people, maybe like some of us, or maybe like people we deal with outside, that would say, there's no way. The ruins are too bad. The destruction is too, too heavy. The destruction is too bad. There's no way that God will make, and I've, we've done too much. What does God say? He says, the Lord is there. The Lord is there to rebuild. The Lord is there to restore. The Lord is there to provide. And so not only has He presently been there, but He's made a covenant and a promise to be there always. Ezekiel 48, 35. A couple pages over. The very last sentence of the book of Ezekiel. As Ezekiel is writing out what the city, or speaking out what the city will look like. I love how Ezekiel lays out, this is what God's going to do. Because Ezekiel wanted them to know, he wanted them to understand that while you've been gone, while things have laid in ruins, while you've made a mess of things, God has stayed there. God has been there that even though you have left, God has never left and He is waiting on you. He's waiting on you to come back and He has plans for the rebuilding. He has plans for the restoration. He has plans for the revival. He has plans specifically for His people in this. And so in Ezekiel 48.35, the way that this book ends as Ezekiel is talking to these people, he says, And the name of the city from that time, the memorial of the city from that time will be the Lord is there, Jehovah Shema, that He has never left, that He has never abandoned, that He has never forsaken, that He has never been with or for anybody else but His people. He says that I want you to remember forever and always that the Lord is there. Do we live our Christian lives truly believing that the Lord is here, that the Lord is there, that the Lord is in those spaces in our life that we feel like are ruins, that we feel like we're not strong enough to do, that we feel like we're not equipped enough to provide? God still fulfilled His promises. And not only that, but through all of the struggle, through the 70 years of exile that they would be in Babylon, they would come back more secured, they would come back more cleansed. They would come back more purified from the evils, the temptations, the idolatry. They would come back 
better than they were when they left because God doesn't use suffering and struggling for our hardships just for the sake to see us suffer. But God uses our suffering for sanctification where He takes the difficult things around us and impresses us to purify us, to, to, to push things away, to help us to depend on God, to see God for who He is. God had stripped everything from the people of Israel when they went into exile. But when they came back, they came back with more than they ever had before. Nehemiah 9, 2-3, we see a completely different nation. He says, And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law and of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they confessed and they worshipped the Lord their God. Do you see what's happening here? They come back from exile and Nehemiah comes in there. He's leading up, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls, rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding all these things and what happens? They begin doing things they had not done in years and years and years. They begin confessing God. They begin pushing against idolatry. They begin confessing their sins. And that's all the book of Jeremiah is about. He's drawing them into confession. Just repent. Confess. Acknowledge where you've sinned. Acknowledge where you've rebelled against the holy God because God is faithful and just to forgive. But they didn't. And the ripple of their sin drew them into exile. But while they were there, God molded them. God made them into something better. And when they got back, they entered into revival because they were confessing, because they were praying, because they were leaning into the Word of God and reading it out loud so that people could hear. And not only that, but they were worshiping. You know, I, I don't imagine that at that time that they were singing, you know, your love never fails and never gets up, gives up and never runs out on me. I don't think they were singing those songs, but I can just imagine that in this moment, as they're praising a holy God for who He is and what He's done, like how much do they have to worship God for at this point? For those who have seen, maybe those who have even lived through the exile and come back home, which would have been very few, some being able to have more to worship for than others because there would have been some coming back that maybe were born during the exile. So they would have known nothing but the destruction. They would have known nothing but the, the displacement that they were grown up, that were raised in. But then there would have been others that would have come and they would have been leaned, leaning in next to these people and they would have said, let me tell you about what God has done. You know, over 70 years ago, our nation was in ruins. Everything was destroyed. But let me tell you, we have so much to worship today. And can I tell you, that's the beauty of the context of the local church. Listen, there are things that I will have never known or never gone through, gone through. but there are things that some of you, maybe some of you men who are older than me and, and women that are older than some of our other women that you can lean into the lives of other people and you can say, hey listen, I know you weren't alive when this was going on, but listen, God has been blessing His people. God has been providing for His people that maybe you can't think of enough to worship God for right now, but I have plenty to tell you about. That's the beautiful thing about the relationship of the church and that's the beautiful thing that they experience in Nehemiah is that there are people that are there that would have never have known what life was like before. But there would have been people that were there when Babylon came knocking down their walls and knew of all the destruction and to be able to see that you know what? The Lord was there. The Lord was there. And you know what? The Lord is here now that He would have been able to say, 
The Lord's never left. He's been preparing this place. He's been equipping us and, and getting us ready for what He has for us. And you know what? We have so much to worship for because what God has is He has redemption. He has restoration. He has revival for His people. And He has provided that to us today through Jesus Christ. That the, Paul writes in Romans 8, that for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Church, because today the covenant we live in is not only a, a, a promise that the Lord is there around us, but because God has sent the great helper in the Holy Spirit, the Lord is there within us. We are vessels of the presence of God. We are vessels of Jehovah Shema. And that means that the promises of God literally indwell us. That they literally carry us. That they live, literally provide for us. And that no matter the mess... No matter the mess, God is there. And no matter the destruction, that God has moved on to the restoration. God has moved on to what's ahead, not binding us to what's behind. Church, because God uses life and circumstances and situations to sanctify us for better and for the better. And He does the same thing with us that He did for them. That He uses the exile to make us more excellent in His work and in His purpose. There's a lot of times, I believe, and there are a lot of people outside of these walls, maybe family members, maybe people you work with, maybe your children or people that you know who have kids that are living in exile because they're experiencing the ripple of their sin. And the ripple of their sin has distanced them from God. It has changed their kind of mental location. The thing that we have to do as people of God is remind people like that that the Lord is still there. That the Lord is waiting for them. That the Lord has promises for them to restore, to rebuild, to provide for them. But what we have to do and what we have to teach other people to do is to stop living like He's abandoned us. And remember that He's present. Present to seek, present to lead, present to change, and present to provide. And so a lot of times I believe that when we enter into the space of our spiritual walk, we say a lot of things like, you know, I don't know if I can lead. I don't know if I can pray. I don't know if I can engage in God's Word. I don't know if I can lead my family. I don't know if I can serve my neighbor. You know, whether it's through our own weaknesses, through our own inabilities, through our own struggles, through our own reputations, whatever that might be, we see that space as ruins. We see that space as a destruction. We even see that space maybe as a place that God's abandoned because we don't feel like that's our place to be. And so if that's not my place to be, then surely that's not where God wants me to be. But I think what we have to be reminded about as Christians is that the Lord is there. The Lord is there in that space that we need to step into as fathers to lead. The Lord is there in that space as we need to step into as Christians as we go out into our community and communicate the gospel to people. The Lord is there in those places where we fear. The Lord is there in those spaces where we doubt. The Lord is there in those spaces even maybe where we've made a mess of. 
Listen, as Christians, as pastors, as people, we can make a mess of things. But God is still there. In the midst of our mess, God is still there and His promises prevail. Because His promises for us are to not only be with us, but to equip us to do what He's called us to do. Mamas and daddies, God has equipped us and He is there in the space that we need to be to lead our families. Grandmas and grandpas, God is there in the space that you need to be to lead your families. Christian, this morning, students, God is there in the spaces that you need to have strength and courage to step out and to be different and be set apart and to be sanctified. For many of us, we don't need forgiveness. The Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive. I think a lot of us today, and a lot of people that are outside of this space, what they need is we need healing. We need healing to be able to move on. We need healing to be able to remember that God is there, that God has provided, that God is still accepting of me. Healing from feeling abandoned by God, unusable, ruined, desolate, and defeated. We don't need forgiveness. God's already forgiven us. What we need is healing to move on. James 5.16, it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The, power, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. There are people that you will go and talk to this week. They don't need forgiveness. They need healing. They need healing from the bondage and the chains of their sin. They need healing from their exile. They need healing to move forward, to walk again. And maybe they need our prayer. Maybe they need our leadership. Maybe they need our patience. Maybe they need our confidence in who God is. You know, Ezekiel's name is translated strengthened by God. And I think that's just so appropriate for what Ezekiel was doing during his time as the prophet of God for Israel. That he wanted to make sure they knew that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the, the displacement you've experienced and the destruction that you've witnessed. That you're not strengthened by your own doings. You're strengthened by God. And not only that, but that God is there. That God is present. And I think something we need to remember is that God is present for me. And that you speak into your life that God is present for you. You know, the, Augustine a prominent member in the church in history, says this. He says, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. And He leads us in that same way. He is there with us in that same way. And He provides for us in that same way. Church, can we bow our heads this morning and, and just acknowledging who God is and what He's done Asking Him, you know, when we ask for forgiveness, it's more for us than it is for God because God already knows and God's already forgiven. But when we begin to ask for forgiveness, we begin to walk and to live in the forgiveness that He's provided. And what that is, that's a place of healing. To live in the confidence that the Lord is there, that the Lord has provided, that God has promises, that in the midst of our destruction and ruins, in the places that we think we have no, no, no right to be in, that God invites us in and He says, He says the Lord is there to provide, to give, to do. Church, I pray 
And I, I want us to pray this morning individually as we seek God. That we would ask God, God, show us the spaces and the places in our life where you are, where you're there, where you're inviting me into to step in confidence. Maybe it's in leading your family. Maybe it's in leading your spouse. Maybe it's in stepping into the lives of a coworker or a friend. Maybe they're a Christian in exile, distanced from God because of the ripple of their sin. Or maybe it's a, a person in your life that is in complete rebellion against God, never put their faith in, in, in Jesus. That you would begin to ask God for the confidence and the patience to lean into those spaces, knowing that the Lord is there, that God is already there, that God is already there. And that, yes, there will be work to do when you get there, but the strength will come from Him. The power will come from Him. Because where God is, there is power. Where God is, there is freedom. Where God is, there can be confidence. Because His promises prevail above our mess, above our weakness, above our inabilities. God is there. So let us pray this morning as we go out of this place to be reminded of and to live in the presence of God. Jehovah Shema, that the Lord is there with us, where we are in our mess, in our destruction, for our good and for His glory to use us in our families and in our communities through His strength. Let's pray. Father, I just, I pray this morning. God, I pray this morning as there are people all over our community, God, that don't know You. God, and maybe it's not that they don't know you. Maybe there are many, many, many that know you, God, but they are exiled from you. They've distanced themselves from you. Maybe they've been hurt by the church. Maybe they've been hurt by each other. Or maybe, Lord, they're just indifferent. Father God, I pray that you would use a people of yours today that know that you are there, that know that you are with us, that we are the physical manifest, that we are the, the vessel that you rest in. That your presence is with us. God, and I pray that we would use your presence. God, that we would embrace your presence to live out the life of leaders, as mentors, as teachers, as friends, as family, as husbands, as wives, as fathers, as mothers. God, in the spaces where we are, where maybe we see inability, or maybe we see destruction, maybe we see faulty relationships, God. Maybe we see faulty abilities, whatever it might be, God. Lord, that we would know that you are there. God, that you are there to provide. God, that you are there to prepare. God, you are there to preserve. God, and that you are there to lead us into your promises. Father God, I ask, first off, that we would just ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us where we've fallen short. God, and in that Help us to walk in healing, the healing of our spirit, the healing of our confidence, the healing of ourselves to move into the spaces where you've called us to. Father God, even though we will continue to bring mess into our lives, Lord, I pray that we would know that you are there leading us, guiding us. Lord, and let us be a people that are passionate about your name and your presence going out to a world around us and proclaiming that you are there or that you are with people. 
and that with your presence come your promises of provision, of victory, of peace, kind of peace that passes all understanding. God, let us see you for who you are and embrace what it is you have for us, Father. Father God, we just love you. God, I thank you and I praise you in your holy name. Amen.